0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 168 for Monday, September 15th, 2008. (laughs)
1: Did that get louder at the end, Sean, or is that just me? Uh, I think it was just me. I think just I hit, you. You found the button. Too, I think I
0: hit but a button. I, but anyways, in my pocket. I, Greetings. I think we're almost back in the groove. What do you think?
1: I think so. You know, uh, on Tuesday, Apple had their their big uh, their big to do right, which happened, I guess, about uh, two. Two p.m. Eastern time, one p.m. Eastern time, ten ten a.m. Pacific. Um, Steve, 12 1, Yes, Steve took the uh, the stage to tell us all about new uh, iPhone software and and really new iPods and all that stuff. So, you know, but we more do. Importantly,
0: our,
1: we, yeah, he's not dead yet. Any, uh, that's right, he's not dead yet. So you know, we do our live coverage, and so we had sent Brian to the event. And there were some interesting things that we had to do some 11th hour stuff that's always, you know, there that you got to deal with. But it was fine. He got there. He's in the groove. He's sitting down. The coverage is starting. Jobs is on the stage. I'm kind of done with my thing. So I'm just going to sit back and watch and, you know, make sure the coverage goes well. And we're about four minutes into the coverage and all of a sudden I hear this bang. I mean, like really loud, like clapping sound. And my cinema display goes dead now. So I've got the MacBook Pro connected to one of the old first generation, you know, cinema displays and it goes dead. I thought, Oh man, it was raining out. So I figured lightning. I thought, you know, I have been hit enough here. I am well protected. What went on? And then I realized the UPS is both of them. I got two APC UPSs in the office and they're just squealing, you know, top of their lungs. Like, wow, that something's wrong. And uh, so I, I go down to the one under my desk and I, I hit the power button to turn it off and and it wasn't providing any power to anything, but it was just squealing. So I turned it off, left it off for about 30 seconds, hit the button it came back up. Cinema display came back up. Phone started coming alive. You know, I could see the router came online. I thought, okay, good. All right. So there was a surge, perhaps. It was a surge. So
0: it it, it blocked the surge. It, it, It would seem it did its
1: job. Yeah, but it should have. It
0: appeared. It, oh, okay. it blocked
1: the surge, but it should have kept going. I mean, it's got a battery in it, right? It's supposed to be able to just, you know, but but maybe the surge was so strong that it just freaked the thing out. And that's kind of what I thought. And then I realized, you know, I'm not on the Internet. And I look over at the cable modem and the modem is dark. And uh, I thought, hmm, OK, so I go to uh, power cycle the modem. I was going to pull the, you know, the power connector out of the back of it. And as I pick up the modem, I hear things rattling around inside of it. <laughs> So I thought that's always a good sign. Yeah, that's real good. Oh, my gosh. Something got like melted. Yeah. (laughs) So I pulled the power out and, you know, left it out for 10 seconds and plugged it back in. And, of course, nothing. And, you know, the cable modem is the one thing that's not protected uh, on on its DC circuit. Its AC circuit is protected, right, for the the power. But DC, meaning the signal coming in from the street, is not because in the past I've found that, Putting uh, any sort of filters on there can degrade the signal. Now, I've got a really good signal here, so I could probably uh, afford to lose some to to the filter. But that's just been my M.O. And since I lease it from the cable company, I don't really care. But I did care because I wanted to get back online. And I realized, oh, my God, you know, I'm dead in the water here. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I sent a text message to Jeff and Steven and let them know, okay, look, you know, I'm, I'm offline and here's what happened. And I started thinking. You know, I have all these piles of junk up in the attic here, next to the studio. And I, I've got. To I ca- go ahead,
0: interject. Now, fortunately, from what I recall, most cable modems now adhere to this standard called DOCSIS. Yes. Yeah, so like we're going to talk about this, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to, to to lead in because you and I, in the bad old days, like I had when I was with at home, which folded, right along right. with the stock that I bought in. Um thanks guys. <laughs> <laughs> Too early. But um those were proprietary big heat generating monsters. Now right. they're pretty much uh but but finally everybody wised up and said, "You know, we got to come up with a standard." So so I guess yeah, I just want to be sure to mention that the good news is these days as long as you have a modem that's not more than several years old, it, it it's probably plug and play at some
1: level. At some level, and that's true. So I had a modem that I had purchased from Charter uh when I was Living in Connecticut. So I dug around up in the attic and I found it and I plugged it in and it took a while because it has to sync up with the right receive uh, uh, downstream channel. And and so it took a little while and I watched it in the logs. You know, you go to 192.168.100.1 in your browser and and so you watch it in the logs. And and finally, I saw it sync up. Now, I knew that once it synced up, I was going to need to call Comcast, which is my current provider, and tell them, okay, I've got a new modem in place. And I need you to provision it because just because it's connected to their network, it doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily allowed to talk. You get into what they call the walled garden. Yeah, Uh, they don't know who who you are. You're you're a rogue device. I'm a rogue device. So I called and to this woman's credit, she picked up the phone and I said, "Okay, look, uh, I'm in a crunch for time here. we got to do this as fast as possible. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And I told her, you know, new modem in place never been on your network before. Here's my account. She's like, okay, no problem. Read me the Mac address and the serial number off the modem. I read it to her. Ten minutes later, I'm online. Good, totally good to go. Now, it's interesting you mentioned doxes because later that day, I noticed, gosh, you know, it seems slow. And I got on with, Charter, uh, with Comcast support and uh, went round and round with them. And they're like, yeah, yeah you know, you should be getting your, you know, your, your uh, eight megabit downloads. And I wasn't even getting half that and finally the guy realized he said oh the modem you have is doxis 1.0 in order to use our higher speed tier you need a 1.1 uh doxis standard modem and you don't have that so i you know i swapped it out a couple of days later and it was fine but uh but you know this lightning thing is interesting john cuz i i not only did the cable modem get fried but i had uh some switches get fried and I've got them protected with cat five protectors. You know, I've got the, uh, the lines that run underground between the house and the office. And of course that's a lightning magnet. We're pretty sure by the way, that the lightning hit really close to here. I thought the loud clap was the cable modem, uh, but Lisa was in the house and heard a similar loud clap. So we're thinking we both heard the lightning. Um, but you know, I, both sides of this cable that, that goes underground, I've got uh, ethernet surge protectors on either side. And yet on this end of it here, the the port that the so the the cable comes in from underground, it goes into the Ethernet surge protector. The other end comes out and it goes into the switch. That port on the switch was blown. The port next to it on the switch was blown. And the G3, I have this old blue and white G3 that acts as our FileMaker server. The Ethernet port on that was blown uh, because it was connected to that end of the switch. Thankfully, the computer was fine. And uh, believe it or not, I actually wound up using the Wi-Fi adapter, and that's what I've got running the uh, the FileMaker server temporarily here to to connect it to the the rest of the network. But I got to figure out what's going on. So we've got somebody from APC that uh, that will either come on the show and do an interview, or I'll I'll uh, I'll chat with them and and uh, and relay some information. But uh, but there's something going on here, and I I hope to to get to the bottom of this because I think it's uh, it's valuable information for everybody. Because we get lots of lightning storms in, in various areas of this country. You still with me, John? You're back now, right, John? Yep, I think we had a little
0: uh, Skype pick up there. Okay. But, um, you, you, ha- you have some rotten luck with uh, – you know, I I told you this, I think, it, when we were chatting. You you really may want to get a lightning rod. Yeah, I I, something because you've had this happen more than once. And and my other thought is that you basically have this big Wampan inductor running in your yard. Yes. (laughs) To me, if the lightning comes close enough, the energy from that will dissipate through that wire. So I'm not sure if you got to
1: put it in a well, maybe a metal tube would not be a great idea.
0: That'd be even worse. So.
1: No, the wire wire is direct burial cat five, or at least I presume that it is that that's what I've used in other installations. I didn't put this wire in, but it sure looks like uh, direct burial cat five, which I've used before. So, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. All right. So um, I'm not sure what the magic is, but but we're going to we're going to have somebody that's at least going to give us uh, more information than we have now. And I think that will be a valuable thing. Certainly for me, yeah. and hopefully uh, for uh, for all of us here.
0: Yeah. So, um, so you know what I like to do before a show, Dave? When you know my system is you know all nice and stable, and uh, you know I'm ready to rock here, and I got all, all the all my apps open. Um, yeah. What's that? I like to apply an OS update.
1: <laughs> oh, nice. So you uh, you're, you're referring, of course, to Mac OS ten point five point five.
0: Yes, that uh, came out this afternoon, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, yep. Got to do it. Well, who knows if there's hidden little, little optimizations or you know, little tweaks that'll make things better. Um, but I applied to both my G5 and my uh, MacBook Pro and uh, everything's great. Though, I, gotta, I looked at the size. Did you notice the size on, on the MacBook Pro was 321 megabytes? Monster. <laughs> if you've got a modem, you're in a world of pain. <laughs> oh my gosh. How long is that going to take? That's, that's terrible. Yeah, it's big. So, so uh, but everything's fine and and uh, I I got the uh, which I've seen happen not on all updates but some and I had the double reboot after applying it on my MacBook Pro I don't recall it doing that on my G5 but um another listener claims that that happened on their uh, G5 as well which is kind of weird if you're not expecting it
1: yeah, that is yeah, it is. I remember the first time I saw that. Now I don't even think about it. In fact, I did the update on uh on this machine on the iMac in the studio here, and I did it over remote desktop from downstairs, so I don't even I don't even know what it did. It just magically did it and 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 then it came back up on the other end with the remote desktop. So.
0: And the one thing, the one last thing and then I think we can get going here. Yeah. Well, I feel like yodel now. <laughs> I said I was going to feel like yodeling, but uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, How do you get in touch with us? We always kind of forget that. and uh, So why don't we mention it now? Okay, that's good. We will mention it again. And we Um, will, yeah. we, I I think our favorite by far is when you call us at
1: 206-666-GEEK, which is... 4335. And then, of course, you can email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. And then you can Skype us, John, too. I, I I don't use that. You okay. It's, that. it's Mac geek gap. It's right. Mac geek App. Well, that's simple. Yep, that's, that's simple. could be easier. Now we've also had, while you, while you brought this up here. Uh, we've also had some requests. iTunes, the client, uh, tends to freak out, can freak out, occasionally freaks out with more than 100 episodes for a podcast. So for that reason, and that reason alone, we have limited our feed to the most recent hundred episodes, and of course we're at episode one hundred and sixty-eight. So that leaves uh, quite a few episodes that aren't in the feed, and we have a lot of you that have asked, "Where can I get more? Where can I get all of them?" And there hasn't really, really been an answer for that until uh, Stephen Swift created the Mac Geek Gab Collector's Edition, and and so we have that feed, and it now it's a pretty cool feed, actually. It, it you know there there were. Many episodes, 20 or 30, where we didn't do an AAC feed. And uh, that was before Michael started doing that for us. So what this is, is it's kind of like a magic feed. It will pull the AAC if uh, if that's available. Otherwise, it actually reverts back and pulls the MP3 from from the other feed. So it's this it's this hybrid, but it's got everything in it and it's up to date. So if you want to subscribe to that, it's there. Uh, it will always get you the the show. Uh, it might get a little weird, though, because you might get the MP3 of the most recent show until Michael puts the AAC in. So I'm not sure, honestly, how it would work. But uh, but certainly for older shows, it's uh, it's there. So that's the collector's edition feed. And, and we've got a link in the show notes um, or will or do mm-hmm. or something like that. So, yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, other cool stuff that came out this week, you know, there was the uh, the the iPhones and or the iPods rather, and and uh, various things mm-hmm. like that from Apple that I totally missed because I was blowing things up here. Uh, <laughs> but Applejack, finally, Applejack is a utility that you install that helps you at the command line in single user mode when your machine is having problems, and there has been an issue with the way the scripts were written. And it was incompatible with Leopard. That has now changed. It is not incompatible with Leopard. Not incompatible. It is now compatible with Leopard. Uh and, and there's a, it's for free. You can get it at SourceForge.net slash projects slash Applejack. So I highly recommend you go get it and install it now before you need it. Are you going to get it now, John?
0: I'm I'm doing that. I'll I'll be back once
1: I'm done. Okay, great. Thanks. We appreciate that. <laughs> In the meantime, Peter. Peter! I need to find Peter here. And
2: I think I've found him. Hi there. I've um, been having a slight issue with my MacBook. It's a newer one, so they've taken off the uh, numlock. And now, normally I don't miss it, except when I am working in parallels on Windows XP, it's my, uh, my 10 key is totally non functional as a. Yeah, you know, it's a ten key. It's just directional arrows, and I can't find a NumLock lock anywhere on my Apple uh, Bluetooth keyboard or on my MacBook keyboard to turn on num lock so I can do anything. And just wondering if you guys have any uh, hacks or solutions. Um, if you guys can email me.
1: No, no, no. We'll just uh, we'll talk amongst ourselves here. And it's stuttering again, and it's just driving me crazy, John. I got to. Uh, I've got to figure this out. I don't know why the audio does this. I do know why it's the buffering, the buffering in Audio Hijack Pro. Uh, okay, so there are a couple of things I found when when researching this. One is that the, uh, the clear key on the 10 key previously is where the numlock would be. And the way you'd get to it is you'd hit option or alt clear and that would enable or disable it would toggle numlock even though numlock's not there it still works in that capacity uh inside parallels so uh, so that's one way and then the other way i think the f6 key on your laptop will do it but most of the time the f6 key is assigned to some system function so you need to hold down the fn key the function key and then hit f6 to get right. it into function mode and that that too will toggle that uh on and off, so so that that's what and I found, and uh, you're. That's good, and that's a good tip
0: actually. That um is is kind of obscure. Is on the laptops, the function key has to be used a lot of times. For example, right now the F6 is. It looks like the keyboard backlight brightness. It will increase it for you. Yeah, there you go. And okay. why did they take the NumLock Lock off? So what you're telling me, I I I didn't try this. I trusted you would, but um, why did they? Uh, so it does it. They just don't mark the key with. Well, there's not a lot of room on that key, but still, that's, that's kind of rude. <laughs> yeah. I also looked in the help for NumLock, and I couldn't really find a tip to uh, verify this. So unless you had a past Mac, you, you'd be kind of clueless. Now, I want to m- mention a couple of tools that I found that may not directly relate to this particular case, but are good tools nonetheless, I think. So one, I found a little ditty called Key Remap for MacBook. I'm not sure why it's specifically for MacBook, um, and we'll link to the software, but it basically gives you a pref pane that will let you remap many of your keys. I don't think it had something specifically for NumLock, but it has for a lot of others. It will map special keys to something common, like a Control-L for a left arrow is, is one example I saw. So um, worth looking at. It's a pref pane. Um, I'm going to try it out, but but it's something I found that looks promising. And then another thing, which it's kind of wacky, but this could work as well um, is if you go to keyboard and mouse so in your system preferences you go to keyboard and mouse keyboard shortcuts and you can assign to a menu item in an app or most apps parallels did not appear in the list of apps that allow that uh, oddly enough but um, you you can assign using keyboard shortcuts uh, keyboard shortcuts and and I think now uh, you asked me why do this John but I looked at you know my you know, deluxe wide body uh, keyboard on my G5 here. And it appears that alt clear generates a numlock. And I see it on this particular keyboard, which, which has, um, you know, the numeric keypad. So you could do that, of course. Now you ask me, well, if you can just press alt and that, why would you assign it to a menu? And I'm like, it's it's nice to have options. So two things that are somewhat related but they they relate to keyboard mapping because you never know when you're going to have to remap keys especially in the pc environment when there are you know kind of oddball keys that you just don't have on a mac
1: right oh i like that very cool anything else on the uh on the keyboard thing or do we move on I think we move on. Okay, our, for our uh, first sponsor for this show is Barebone Software, and BB Edit Nine is out now. Now, this is a pretty significant upgrade. Uh, it it does a couple of things. One is it has multi-file search is no longer modal, uh, which means it's it's a brand new uh, option. It works. Uh, it the the find window will stay open uh, and and can be moved in in and out of the background. Uh, so it it's much more functionally complete than uh, than previous finds. It's also got autocomplete for many commands and many languages and even just uh, words as you're typing. So uh, it auto senses the language that you're programming in by the file type or you can set it. And then as you're typing, uh, it will offer to autocomplete things. Of course, it's got all the the same great stuff that you've had before where uh, you can have it reopen all the files that you had open uh, previously and uh, it's got you know for those of you that use dot Mac you know that that I like or mobile me or whatever they want to call it these days uh, you can sync your application support folder back and forth from multiple Macs, which is actually pretty cool John being able to have uh, all those preferences and stuff totally synced back and forth so that that I actually find that very helpful and uh and it's a it's a good thing. So uh BB Edit Nine, there's there's actually tons more stuff and I encourage you to check out what uh what they've what they've talked about with it over at the Barebones site. But it's one twenty five for an individual license and if you've got a previous version of BB Edit, it's only thirty bucks US to uh to upgrade. So that's barebones.com, BB Edit nine. Very cool. Oh, and, and the whole Concept. One thing I use a lot is file groups where I've got a bunch of files that uh, that I would open together uh, related things, even if they're saved on an FTP server or whatever, that the whole interface for that has been redesigned so that you really see what you're doing. And it's all kind of one window instead of having it multiple windows that manage these file groups. So really cool stuff. I, I again, it's one of those pieces of software that I am happy to have as a sponsor because. I use it, and it's so easy to talk about. So, barebones.com, dot com, BB at nine. And with that, we move on to. Uh, I
0: I like this topic, and and one thing I want to say, Dave, yeah. is, um, the team of lawyers in TMO Towers will 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 protect you if if you wish to speak to us and remain anonymous. Oh sure, yeah, you happen to work for Apple. We're, we're in a good defensive position, being in a tower. So. Apple's lawyers are going to have to try real hard to to scale, get to. to scale the tower.
1: <laughs> uh, so no, yeah, but we
0: we we like to get the the the, the real scoop, in, and I don't think there's any any problem with what uh, what's been told here. So, uh, anyways, uh, let's let's jump in.
1: Yeah, no, so uh, we have we do we have a couple of comments from geniuses that work at uh, Apple stores, and and this first one comes from a, an anonymous genius that says. I'm a Mac Genius at eight for obvious reasons. Uh, nameless Apple Store. I was just catching up and listened to show 160 and wanted to clarify the scope of support between the Genius Bar and Apple Care. The Mac Genie are in most cases considered second tier support personnel as well as ACMT. We have John will look that up while I'm moving along here. Uh, we have considerable leeway regarding what we can do given a system's symptoms, warranty status, and eligible quality programs. I can't really give any particulars. However, most situations where a customer would be accorded, say a replacement battery as one of your recent examples, would also be resolved the same way at the store level. So this is a this is a good thing. <coughs> Excuse me. I never do that. I'm, I, OK, I'm standing I, I looked up that here. up, by so, the way. OK, what's a
0: ACMT? Apple certified Macintosh technician Which makes sense. We'll link to this term, and it basically means that uh, you you can open up a Mac and fix it and not destroy it. I I think, and and they show a wall with a nice certificate, so it looks like training that I guess you could probably get um, uh, even if you don't. Well, I don't know. We'll we'll link to the page here. It it, it talks about things, but uh, but but look for this. I think if you're going to bring your computer somewhere.
1: So this is this is good though because it it means that the the Mac geniuses are are pretty high up on the scale. They're they're more. Uh, they have more leeway, they're, they're more empowered than the first level support that you get on the phone. So if you think that your problem would require you talking to someone on the phone and then trying to trade up to, to someone uh, higher up, the genius is actually uh, considered at the same level as that, uh, as that higher up. So I that's good to know. That's excellent to know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it looks like a program here that, yeah, I guess uh, you can be anybody and um, y- you can ask Apple to, to you know register you as a you know, qualified technician. And once you're registered, you take the exams. And I guess if you pass, then uh, you can use that uh, certification to tell people, you know what you're doing. So um, if anybody is one of these, uh, and actually I'm curious if anybody's done this, you know, is like an, that does not work with a storefront. I'd be curious about that. Like, you know, small independent consultants.
1: uh, Can you get this? I assume you can, but let us know. Yeah, that would be good to know. All right, and, uh, and we have another genius. We get a call from, uh, from a genius.
2: Hello, Don and uh, Dave and John. This is Jason, uh, uh, Mac Genius at an Apple store, and I was just listening to the last episode. I can't remember what number it was. Uh, you were talking about low power on iPods. Uh, get them in the store quite often where they won't come on at all. They have just a black screen, and they say they've been charging on their USB plug from their computer. And they they say they've had it charging all night, still black screen. Bring it into the store. I plug it into a FireWire plug with a dock connector on, and instantly, well, ninety percent of the time, they start up. And then I just let them charge for a while until they got some charge, and then I send them home to finish charging. So the FireWire cable actually has more current flowing through it, and sometimes that brings the iPods back. Just wanted to give that tip.
0: Excellent. And, you know, Dave, I think this is a great tip, but I would say only for older Like, for example, I brought up this problem about the, you know, nearly dead or what I thought was dead. And I was, you know, eagerly looking forward to buying a new one, though it's a good thing I didn't because they just introduced the new ones. Go figure.
1: Right. (laughs)
0: Um, But anyways, the older ones, like my 3G, um, I believe it's a 40 gig, you know, white uh, monochrome, will do either FireWire or USB because I have cables for both. Um, For reasons that are uh, uh, still, no, I, I understand the reason. It makes things simple. Rather than having to put in a FireWire and a USB chipset, you just get rid of the FireWire because do you really need it as long as USB is universal among Macs, which it pretty much is, and it can provide power. Right. Now, as pointed out, not as much that that sounds correct. Uh, FireWire, I think, generally because it's used to, to power hard drives and video cameras sometimes and stuff, um, that, that, that sounds reasonable that there's more juice. But if nothing else, it's a different interface and sometimes trying, you know. Sometimes you just got to flail about wildly and just try everything possible to get things to work. And in this case, (laughs) that's one of the options is try the FireWire cable. Um, I believe on the newer iPods, if you try to plug in, because the connector is the same universal, so-called universal connector, which I think they've been pretty consistent about for uh, unlike some other people like Palm, but I won't pick on them. Well, yes, I will (laughs) because I went through some older palms and they kept changing the connector, which
1: that's just wrong.
0: Um, but I believe the newer ones will say FireWire is not supported, dude. I know what this is, and and, and I'm not talking to you.
1: Yeah, it, it, I, that happens. Uh, the iPod that uh, one of the iPods we have at the house will not charge with a FireWire connector, uh, and the same with my iPhone. I tried plugging that that connector in it. The iPhone was actually smart enough to put a note on the screen that said, "Look, this is will not charge it." Uh, the The ipod just kind of goes into la la land it it doesn't it doesn't say it's charging it doesn't say it's not you know it just it basically ignores that the thing is plugged in so uh yeah i'd be curious if this works on the newer ipods to jumpstart them because uh, according to everything i know they don't have firewire circuits in them so like you said they you know they'll only charge with uh with usb so that yeah and i guess
0: uh, and as i pointed out before um Once you plug it in and you get that icon, try not to unplug it because I think I got it in a confused state where it was just a little bit beyond death and it didn't know what to do. And and once I left it sitting around, oddly enough, for a while, it probably got into the mostly dead state with a tip of the hat to uh, Princess Bride. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and then it then i got something on the display but it was very weird because i was definitely in a situation where no matter what i plugged in nothing came up on the screen and that was very disconcerting
1: so it it is worth noting that there are adapters made that shift the pins around uh, so the power coming in via firewire can be rerouted to where it would expect to see usb power and there are adapters that'll kind of remap those pins so you you it, it's got like a a dock receiver on one end, and then the dock connector on the other, end, and you put that in line between the power adapter and the iPod or the iPhone. And in theory, it works. I have not tested any of these, but I've heard from uh, from trusted sources actually that uh, colleagues and such have used them, and it works just fine. So, moving on to talking, we got a couple of questions about air discs and uh, air disc. What's what's air disc? Oh, let's talk oh. about this. Uh, so Chase writes. I have an Apple Airport Extreme with a USB hub connected. To the USB hub, I have connected a printer and an external USB hard drive. I would like to be able to access the hard drive over the internet, away from the home network. Would I need to set up an SSH tunnel or what? I have a 12 inch PowerBook that is doing nothing that I can use to set up as a server per se, and could use that if needed. Any help on this would be great. I use a 15-inch powerbook running the latest update of OS X. I also have a gateway laptop running Vista and would like to make sure that whatever I'm doing could access the hard drive over the Internet. Okay. Uh, I am... I've never done... I I need to preface this by saying I personally have never done the AirDisc uh, thing with an airport base station. I've done it with a time capsule... Uh, And we'll talk about that actually with the next question. But uh, everything I read indicates that it all works the same. And that is, yeah, you you need to go into the airport utility and choose to share disks over the Ethernet WAN port. So you need to enable that. And then once that's enabled, uh, you you go in and enter the uh, IP address. You go to connect to server, enter the IP address of your home network. So. Not your 192.168 or your 10.0 address, but the actual address that you get at home if you go to whatismyip.com and and see that address. So you plug that in: AFP colon slash slash AFP for Apple File Protocol, Apple File pro AFP colon slash slash and then that IP address, and it should connect you to your router. Ask you to log in with the same password that you would log in uh, with at home internally to the network. And then you should be able to connect that drive. Now, remember, you're mounting a drive over a potentially very slow Internet connection, very slow compared to your, uh, you know, your your land connection at home. So the the experience might not be what you're expecting, but it should work in that it should allow you to mount that drive. As far as I know, John, do you have uh, you have more to more to add here?
0: The whole thing makes me kind of kind of nervous, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I typically, I do not leave my machines on. When I leave home, I turn them off. I, I do not share files from my, uh, although, you know, my base station's always on, which is a time capsule. I'm, right. I'm wary of having sharing occurring too close to my cable modem, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I not, not, not physically
1: close, but you mean... Uh, proximity in the, in the network layout right
0: right that if there is a hole um or i make a hole available somebody's going to find it because um right so i typically shy away from that sort of thing i'll certainly share this on my internal network but i, 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 I again i'm wary of opening a hole to the outside so that's that's my thoughts in a nutshell um All right. That, I don't that's, know, a, I that's a valid some, concern. Yeah. Well, I prefer some services like you and I use. We use Dropbox. Um, you can do .Mac on a remote server. Um, I guess my only concern is, is if you allow some level of access to your network, like to a hard drive or other network resource, you, uh, the, that could uh, lead to sharing of things you'd rather not have shared. So
1: just yep. being kind of paranoid. No, um, I, I've said it before. With security, you are trading, it, always trading convenience and access for yourself. For security for your data. So if you make it so that no one can get to your data, then your data is safe. But of course, if you can't get to it, then it might not be all that useful to you. So yes. <laughs> so you need to find that balance, right? And and that's the same thing that's happening here. If you can get in and access your hard drive from remote, someone else can get in and access your hard drive from remote if they know all the same information that you do.
0: So mm-hmm. that's you know. Yeah, well I guess it's been said the most accurate-
1: the most secure computer is one that's not hooked up to a network. The most secure computer is one that's like locked off. away in a safe and off. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> not very useful, typically. But uh,
0: mm. oh, and speaking of Dropbox, you, you saw what happened.
1: Oh, that's right. Dropbox. You
0: don't have to. Uh, you don't have to wrap with us anymore to get an invite because they're the, they're done with the beta. Yeah, it's still you free. Want Dropbox for now and it's still get dropbox.com but you don't need an invite you you can sign up and i believe they have clients now for mac windows and linux like i, I believe they did before that's right in yeah. in various states but now they're uh, they're uh, and and i think they've gotten very favorable press i'm i mean dave and i use it for uh, exchanging info for for putting the show together and it's just very useful it does have some drawbacks but but all in all i'm i'm pleased so uh
1: go get them <laughs> all right uh, let's move on to JP because he has a an disc type question.
2: Hey guys, uh, it's JP in Los Angeles. I have a question. Uh, I have a time capsule and um, I'm not going to use it anymore for time machine. I'm going to use a Drobo instead. So that's all set up and everything. But I was wondering, is there a way to tell your time capsule just to behave like a, a hard disk and just just have an extra hard drive mounted whenever I'm, uh, you know, have my computer on. Um, I can't seem to find a way to turn it on. I can get in and erase it. I can rename it. I can do all these things with it, but I, I can't I can't seem to get it to appear on the desktop and just behave as just a, a network drive. Maybe you can help me with that. Thanks a lot, guys. Love the show. Bye.
3: All
1: right. Uh the answer is absolutely yes. In fact, I do this here all the time, and it's funny in our in our pre show prep, John. I said to you, "Oh yeah, I do this all the time. I just go in and uh, either in the Finder in Leopard, you know, it, my Time Capsule appears under Shared, and I click on the Time Capsule, and I double click on the on the mm-hmm. drive, and it asks me for my password, and then boom, I'm in." And in fact, I have our our FileMaker server, the the G3, uh, connects to it, and because it's running Tiger. Uh, it runs super duper from Shirt Pocket and just copies its data over to uh, to the time capsule every day. But but it does it over AFP. And then you pointed out. That- yes, I did. Is is uh you well, in order
0: to enable this? So so you assumed it was magic and it probably wasn't. And I, I think this is enabled by default. But um, you want to make sure when you run the airport utility. Um, there'll be several icons on the top of the screen. You want to go to Disks, then there are sub-tabs, and you want to click on File Sharing. Make sure the box that says Enable File Sharing is checked, in which case I think that will lead to the behavior that you and I have observed, Dave, which is it's it's in the Sharing tab in the Finder. And, of course, you you want to make sure also, oh, where is this? That there's a place where you can enable and disable. Is it View Options, Dave? In uh, in, in the airport utility, you mean? No, no. I'm sorry. In the Finder, the oh. Finder. There's a a shared item on
1: on the 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 bar on the left. Oh uh, yeah, I We're think it, about here. I think it's, it's very somewhere we'll find it. Uh, it's not view options. I, I I know what you mean. I think it might just be Finder preferences, actually, John. Okay. Yeah, and you go to Finder preferences sidebar. There we then, go. You're correct. And then make, make sure, sure shared Bonjour s- computers is that because that's how it shows up. Or external discs. Is it external discs maybe? No bunch of No, okay. external external discs is firewired and USB devices connected directly to your Mac.
0: Okay. But in any event, the Finder Preferences sidebar, you want to make sure that the thing you want to see is checked in this list, and it may not be. So I guess that's uh that's what I gotta say about
1: that. All right. Well you you wanna say it again or uh, or should we move on? No, no, once <laughs> once is enough. Once is enough. All right. Uh, Dan has a very, very interesting comment to share.
3: Hey guys, this is Dan, thoroughly satisfied listener. Thanks a lot for this ah. great podcast. Keep up the great work. Um, I just was listening, uh, catching up on some old episodes and noted that during the episode one...
1: You know, I'm, I'm going to stop right there because Dan actually said something. What did he say? It was kind of funny. He said he's Dan, a fairly satisfied listener. Fairly. And you know... I, I'm I'm such a customer service freak that I just had to stop there and say, you know, we love hearing from from those of you that that take the time out of your day to just tell us how uh, how much you enjoy the show or how much you get out of it. That's awesome. We also really do strive to make this show work for all of our listeners. And I, I say that with the caveat that we've certainly gotten some comments that say, you know, uh, what you guys do is great, but uh, I really wish you would do this. This thing that's completely different. And sometimes we say, gosh, you know, that actually does kind of fit into the gestalt of what we do here. And thanks. And other times we say, hey, thanks. That doesn't fit into the gestalt of what we do. So uh, you might want to find, uh, you know, another podcast or uh, another way of getting that that sort of content. Uh, and mm-hmm. either is fine. That's the beauty of, of this whole thing. And, and I, you know, I don't say that in a snarky way. I, I mean it sincerely because we kind of have to focus on what we do. <laughs> That said, we do like to hear all of this stuff. So uh, if if you're like Dan and you're only fairly satisfied, we want you absolutely stupendously satisfied. So uh, please let us know uh, what what we can do to to make your your listening experience better.
0: (laughs) Well, your reaction was different than mine, Dave, because I just, you know, quietly wept in a corner when I heard that.
1: Yeah, I'll do that later. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it, for me, it's like a car wreck. You know, you, you, you go through it and you're like, oh, yeah, it's no problem. And then later on, you're like shaking and, you know, totally forget your name for half an hour. But anyways,
0: hour. let's, uh, but Dan has some good stuff. Let's, let's back to Dan. He does.
3: Five two, uh, there was a discussion or a follow-up discussion regarding a, uh, someone's question about, you know, what's the real world effect of having four computers connected to an 802.11n uh, access point and uh, it was very entertaining and educational. Thanks for that. I just wanted to offer one tidbit of perspective on that and pretty much any other, uh, especially home users, questions or concerns about sharing their Wi-Fi connection amongst computers and how that's going to affect their experience. And experience is kind of the key word here. I'm going to try to keep this short and let you guys hash or rehash anything you feel necessary to uh, help make this point understood. And that is that you always pretty much have to uh, be curious about what the final destination of the uh, user is. And if that's the Internet, then... You figure out where the, uh, you know, most narrowest tube along the pipe is going to be, and that's going to be their limiting factor in their Internet experience. Obviously, if they're throwing huge files across their local network, that's a different story. But um, that being said, feel free to shake your fist or wag your finger if I'm not being considerate of all those great people who like to throw multi-gigabyte files across their network. But in my experience, a lot of my clients just want to get on the Internet. And if they want it faster, it's not about improving their wireless access point. It's usually about improving their Internet connection. Thanks a lot. Keep up the great work. Yeah,
1: I, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. It's that whole weakest link in the chain uh, analogy, right, John? Uh, but it is worth noting that many Internet connections today. So we've talked about this before. Uh, an 802.11b connection is, in theory, max. Its maximum speed is 11 megabits, which means uh, the theory, the the realistic maximum that you're going to get is half that, five and a half megabytes per second. There are many, many internet connections, especially cable modem connections, that go uh, m- faster than that. I mean, the the slowest speed that you can get with Comcast right now is six. Uh, you can go up to eight and even those connections burst up to like 15 to 20. So you, you know, expanding your network so that your network is not the weakest link in the chain the same thing that it, it, it's exactly the same principle that Dan uh, provides here, but, but you want to make sure you're not using an older, uh, you know, 802 to 11 B access point nowadays, especially since the further you get from the access point, the slower your uh, effective speed is. So, You might not even get your five and a half. You might only get one or two. And that's Mm -hmm. not that's not great.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I would think is, um, you know, think about or, or look at the relative speed of all the components in the system. So a lot of the newer Macs have gigabit Ethernet. Well, if you got a 10 base T switch or hub, well, your problem may be there. Because I still see people there, right. you know, they dig it out of a drawer, it works, you know, seems to work. You know, hubs, uh, as as you probably know, but if you don't, are probably the most inefficient devices in that they get saturated because they're a shared medium. Switches are much better. They're smarter. But you got to look at it again. If if uh, like both my Macs are, are gigabit Ethernet, uh, my hub right now, which I guess is, well, no, I guess actually my hub right now, which is a time capsule, I believe that's also a gigabit. So it is. Yeah we have a match. But prior Apple units that I had or Linksys units were 100 base-T. Up, oh, well, there you go. Or or even worse, as I pointed out, 10 base-T. So think about your cable connection, all your equipment, your wireless and your wired routers and hubs, and just kind of map that out and just try to identify and possibly upgrade anything that, that could be a bottleneck. So, so I think uh, Dan brought up a very good point.
1: Just, just to clarify, gigabit Ethernet is 1000 base-T, which means it can transmit one gigabit per second across the link 100 base t is 100 megabit 100 megabits per second and 10 base t is 10 megabits so uh it using that example if you've got a 10 megabit switch or hub uh, and your cable modem connection can burst up to 15 well you ain't gonna see it because your uh your your connection's too slow so yeah that that's That's definitely worth it. And I I will take a minute. uh, I wouldn't have used the term shake my fist or wag my finger, Dan, but uh, it is worth noting that, especially with the time capsule out there, there are people uh, moving quite a bit of data around on their local networks on a regular basis. The, The whole the way time machine works, it's not entirely efficient. It sucks down a bunch of data to your Mac so that it can compare it first and then it blasts a bunch of data back out to the time capsule. So there's this. You know, it, it's effectively not even effectively. It's mounting a disk image across the network and then not being all that efficient with the way it moves data back and forth. So uh, the faster your connection, I, I definitely noticed that moving from uh, 100 megabit to gigabit Ethernet here between the, the house and the office made a huge difference because I store the uh, the time capsule. Uh, you know, on the other end of the connection there. So having gigabit m- made a massive difference in, in the speed of, of backups. So, uh, so, you know, that's, uh, I guess it's worth mentioning and that's all I have to say about that. Anything else before we move on to Greg, we have time to move on to Greg, right, John? Oh, yeah. Greg. Absolutely. I think Greg may, may be it. Right? All right, good. Uh, so on the last show, we talked about a problem that, Uh, Robert was having where he had a printer that was hanging off of an airport base station and one of his machines was able to print to it. And the other two were not. And John and I speculated some uh, uh, that maybe it was either a driver issue and that the driver on one machine was different, or he was using a different connection method. Maybe one machine was wired and the others were wireless. Uh, I've actually heard from, from Robert they're all wireless, so we can rule that out. But the driver things sure seem to make sense. And Greg wrote uh, and, and said he uh, is a Mac consultant. I'll, I'll read what he says. I'm a Mac consultant who had to deal with setting up many USB printers via Airport Extreme slash Express. And I'm surprised how badly the manufacturers write their software for Bonjour. I usually have to use the following software with HP printers, but it seems to work with other brands as well. I use the Open Printing Project from the Linux Foundation. Specifically, I use the HP IJS project on that site, as there are a few different projects based on what your needs are. Uh, the site is at linuxfoundation.org, and there's a macOS 10 section. We'll link to that. Uh, you need to download three things, he said, installed in this order: first, Ghostscript for macOS 10.5 uh, Tiger or Panther, uh, Foomatic-rip, and then uh, the, the the printing software, which in in his case. Was the HP IGA uh, HP IJS. Once installed, you go ahead and add the printer as a Bonjour printer. But instead of letting OS 10 pick the driver for you, you manually choo- choose the driver from the list. The Linux Foundation documentation says that uh, that, you know, some printers aren't fully supported. The brother HL 2040 is not fully supported, but that you should use the 2060 driver, which has close to 100 percent compatibility. Uh, and so, I passed this along. This is fantastic and and I really think this is the crux of the issue is that, as we talked about last week, John, these printer drivers aren 't really written to work across the network, and there 's some funkiness. unfortunately, uh, I sent this to Robert this afternoon. He tried it, and uh, said uh, well, what he said was not all that hopefully says i 'm giving up on it, and the reason is i down, I followed the link, downloaded the software. And locked up my machine. Seemed to have a life of its own. It sounded an alarm once a once a second and couldn't be stopped. He tried force uh-huh. quitting. Yeah. So, he Robert has given up on this, but it sounds like Greg has had good success with uh, with many clients with this. So it, th- there there might be something here, and it looks like even though uh, some printers aren't using uh, PostScript, it looks like this thing might. Add itself as a PostScript interpreter in in between, and then and then do some other magic. The RIP
0: part is kind of funky. Yeah, raster image processor is what a RIP is.
1: Very interesting. And GhostScript is a PostScript interpreter. So yeah, there's some interesting things. I'm not sure exactly exactly how uh, how it works, but but it sure sounds interesting. Yeah,
0: I think in general because I've been working with some uh, so so at the at work we have. Sharp multifunction devices, and actually I've been having some problems. Oddly enough, they're related to Adobe software and not print drivers, because what would happen is I would open a, a document from my email program. It would open Acrobat Professional, because I have that in addition to the reader. But I guess under Windows, it defaults to Acrobat Pro. And I tried to print it, and all the graphics came out black. Oh, nice. Uh, so I'm like, this is weird. And so I, I I thought it was the drivers. So I you know, downloaded new drivers from Sharp. Put them in, tried the same operation, same thing. I'm like, okay. You know, I've never had this form before. I'm like, let me open these documents with Acrobat Reader. Open them with Reader, printed them. They printed fine. The problem is with Adobe.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating?
0: I thought it was the driver, but but I guess the, 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 over, the, the, the advice is your print drivers, although the Apple utility, from what I can see, at least the drivers available to Apple, is that when you... Go to the, the part of uh, OS X that lets you set up your printers. It will go online, as far as I can see, and say, hey, any new drivers for me? And it'll download them. Right, I've seen right. that dialogue before. Now, I think that's just from Apple. That, that, that can't be from the vendors themselves. So you may want to go to the vendors themselves. And I've actually had to do this. Like, I have an old, ancient GCC printer. You still have unless, that thing? Hey, it's working. Wow. You had that before you bought your house. Probably, wow. hey, it's twelve hundred DPI laser printer. It, it it still prints. It's TCP IP. I just needed a new driver because um, the 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 default, uh, of course, the default driver that comes in OS ten is is kind of generic and it doesn't see things on this like the rear um, paper path and uh, you know some of the other things. So, but
1: uh, th- that's that's actually good to talk about. So OS ten does include a very generic PostScript driver. Did did the driver at least work in terms of getting? Oh, sure. A, a printout. OK, so that that's actually valuable to know. And if you've got a laser printer that's acting funky, you can go into uh, uh, print and fax. I think, John, right in the system preferences mm-hmm. and change the driver for the printer to just use generic like like, like John just said, you'll lose some features potentially. But, you know, if, if the one feature you don't have is getting it to spit out a page of printed material, that would tend to trump uh you know other other issues but but like you said if if you can get the manufacturer's updated driver or someone's updated driver then that's uh that's even more helpful indeed right yeah we could. Mm-hmm. all right let's we're see good. if i can let's see if i can bring the band in without uh without making us sound like we're stuttering here so far so good that's excellent uh yeah what do we have to talk about here iPhone Alley, Michael Johnston's site He uh, converts this show to AAC for you So go check out uh, iPhone Alley and the iPhone Alley podcast He's got all, all, all sorts of great guests uh, on that show He uh, he knows what he's doing over there Like you Like me, but for people far better than me he's got too so. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, Speaking of me being a guest on a podcast <laughs> Now that you brought it up, John uh, I was on the Mac Jury today with Chuck Joyner uh, that he puts together occasionally, and today we had a great discussion about um, uh, the whole issue with the Podcaster app being pulled or not being denied from the store because it competes with Apple. And I'm not going to rehash it. Denied? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to rehash it here. But uh, no. it, d- d- suffice to say, the uh, the discussion earlier today was good, and hopefully Chuck will have that out within uh, maybe by the time you're you're hearing this. So MacJury.com, I think, is where that that goes from cashfly provides all the bandwidth for you to download this show and we love them for it. And you love them for it it's a good thing if anybody needs bandwidth if anybody needs a uh, distributed hosting system cashfly is uh is definitely the place to to check out those guys know what they're doing over there and uh you, you know how to reach us so uh oh yeah let's talk about that again the phone number 206-666-geek john that's yeah, 4335. Or you can email us at feedback um, at MacGeekGab.com or Skype us to MacGeekGab? Yes. <laughs> See, if you can remember Sweet. it, the listeners will remember it. This is a good thing. Uh, the podcast marketplace includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit 9 from Barebone Software, Text Expander from Smile on My Mac. And Notebook from Circus Ponies. And we are very appreciative to have all of them as sponsors. The Macworld Expo Hotel uh, deal is... We opened up some more rooms. I got email from a couple of you over the weekend saying you tried to book rooms and our deal was full. Uh, Early this morning, we were able to open up a few more rooms in the block. Rooms are selling out like crazy. I don't know why they're all more expensive this year. Uh, we do have a five bucks uh, off a night deal at the Milano, which is where uh, where we'll be staying, John, and uh, you know. and we've extended that to to you folks, courtesy and, of IDG, and and, and I and saw
0: on um, on that you know that chat system we can't talk about, but, uh, but I think Paul was indicating that. Uh Sign-ups look to be uh, pretty brisk. Yeah. Looks like there's going to be a few people there. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And if you're going to Macworld Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, I will be uh, presenting my Running Your Mac Lean, Clean, and Mean session again. So uh, if you're coming to the show, definitely check that out. We will have uh, a giveaway that we're going to run. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to coordinate that or what uh, what we're going to make you do to sign up for that. But we'll have a couple of users conference passes, I think, and uh, a couple other things. But I gotta, I gotta get the details of that in place before we we, uh, <laughs> we make you
0: dance. <laughs> we'll leave You it send at that. us video, you dance.
1: Uh, yeah, you- that's the good stuff right there. We Where like to going? make them dance, huh? There they are. Yeah, yeah the yeah, band yeah. went away a bit. Okay. Well, they're I'm, looping. I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't have it auto looping, and uh, I'm standing up, so you know, it's, it's all this yeah. funky stuff. All right. um... It's, okay, that's, moving moving right along. That's it, I guess, right? I, I guess that's it, yeah. That's uh, that's how we're going to... Okay, gonna so I'm back thing. in
0: the swing here. I'm, uh... Yep. You're swinging, you said? I'm swing. <laughs> I'm back in the swing.